Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kate Trinko. And also with us today, we have Brenda Hafera, the Assistant Director of the Simon Center here at the Heritage Foundation. Welcome, Brenda. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into the serious topics, I want to talk about something that's been affecting us all this week, and that is daylight savings time. <laughs> I don't know I, if I'm, this is triggering. Uh, well, I'm like so conflicted. Like, I love that I go home and there's actually sun, but like Monday morning, it was just the worst trying to wake up because it was dark. Well, I am really bad at waking up generally, no matter the light situation. So I'd rather take the light at night, I guess. I will note, though, that we are now going on three days and I still haven't changed my car clock. And knowing my track record, it's going to be about a month. That's usually when I see my brother again and he comes in the car and he's like, are you kidding me? And fixes it. Stop it. (laughs) So I'm one of those people. Apparently, it also takes a really long time. For toddlers to adjust to daylight savings <laughs> time. It's like really problematic for parents. That's um, so funny. Well, this might be overtaken by the time this episode is released, but I did see on Twitter as of Tuesday afternoon, like Senator Marco Rubio and some others got a Senate vote to approve like us just staying on one time. Um, I don't know you call it daylight savings time or whatever. So I don't know if it has any chances in the House, but in theory, this could happen. Could you imagine like in the winter? You don't leave work and it's not sad and dark outside? Wait, I think that would still happen because winter is... Well, it would still be an hour earlier, right? Like 4 o'clock would be 5 o'clock? I don't know. Now we're entering time travel, which is where I get lost. (laughs) We have other problems to solve. Kate, what do we have up on this week's edition of Problematic Women? Well, speaking of toddlers, they are also being persecuted in New York City where they have to wear masks even <laughs> though no one else does. So there's a, there's a lot of things going badly for the toddler um, crowd right now. We're also going to talk about how Planned Parenthood decided the right way to promote abortion was to use an ice cream truck. I am not making that up. And we're going to discuss Brenda's great new article in National Review where she talks about how feminists need to start caring about men and boys. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating, five stars, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. All right. Once again, the left is being creepy about kids. First off, we have Planned Parenthood is using an ice cream truck to promote abortion. Planned Parenthood President Alexis McGill Johnson tweeted, ice cream, you scream. We all scream for abortion rights. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who that's even seeing? That's gross. (laughs) It's it's. Doesn't make you hungry. Catch us around South by Southwest and stop by to grab some free bands off swag, condoms and education on the cold hearted policies of the Texas legislature. Um, That's not enough Uh, in terms of the left targeting kids. You've probably also heard about Florida's so-called don't say gay bill. Of course, the corporate media completely has lied about this bill, which is actually about protecting kids in kindergarten to third grade from planned discussions of sexual orientation and gender identity, which you would think we could all agree is not appropriate for small children. But we can't. 
And even Disney has come out against this legislation. Here's a great clip of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who refused to be cowed by Disney, speaking about Florida's parental rights bill via town hall. So here's what I can tell you. Uh, In the state of Florida, uh, we are not going to allow them to inject transgenderism into kindergarten. First graders shouldn't have uh, woke gender ideology imposed in their curriculums. And that is what we're standing for because we're standing for the kids and we're standing for the parents. Uh, And I can tell you this, there, the chance that I am going to back down from my commitment to students and back down from my commitment to parents' rights yeah. simply because of fraudulent media narratives or pressure from woke corporations, the chances of that are zero. Yeah. And, it, and when you have companies that have made a fortune off being family friendly and catering to families and young kids, you know, they should understand that parents of young kids do not want this injected into their kids' kindergarten classroom. Uh, They do not want their first graders to go and being told that they can choose an opposite gender. That is not appropriate for those kids. And so if you're family friendly, understand uh, the parents who are actually raising families want to have their rights respected. And I also think that if you have companies like a Disney that are gonna say and criticize parents' rights, they're gonna criticize the fact uh, that we don't want transgenderism in kindergarten and first grade classrooms, if that's the hill that they're gonna die on, then how do they possibly explain lining their pockets with their relationship from the Communist Party of China? Because that's what they do and they make a fortune And they don't say a word about the really brutal practices uh, that you see over there at the hands of the CCP. Okay, so let's start off about Planned Parenthood's ice cream truck, which I guess I've already made my feelings known about. Um, Brenda, Lauren, what's your take? I do appreciate, though, the pun with cold-hearted policies and ice cream. But besides that, it's not even a good pun. (laughs) It's really gross. Like, And you have to go online and see the picture. We'll link it in the show notes. But it's like this fun-looking ice cream truck that it even has like the little popsicles on the side. But everything is promoting abortion. And it's just one of those world's colliding moments where you're like, this can't be real. Yeah. It's so awful. I mean, to to talk, to advertise abortion in that kind of flippant way is just, it's disgraceful. Yeah, and I think that really goes to the heart of, you know, it used to be, you know, the left would talk about abortions being safe, legal, and rare. And I think this is more part of the new thing, like shout your abortion, be proud of your abortion. Like they're really trying to make abortion itself something, yeah, I guess almost fun, which, um, you know, I I don't think there's a lot of kids at South by Southwest, but the thought of a kid seeing the ice cream truck and just, you know, I don't know what, like, how do you explain to your kid this is an ice cream truck about abortion and condoms? Like, 
And the fact that they think it's clever and that they think this is like a fun, you know, like, ha ha, look, like the condoms on the side look like popsicles. Like they don't take this with any gravitas. They really have in their own mind warped the idea that it's not a baby out so much that that they are able to do this in good conscience. And it makes me sad that that they feel this way and sad that they think the Texas legislator is, is cold hearted. I'm sure it's because of the heartbeat bill, which a lot's going on. It's making its way to the Supreme Court, but it's actually saved a lot of babies. Yeah, although it hasn't saved as many babies as you would think. I was doing, um, don't die of shock, Lauren, but I was doing some research <laughs> before this podcast. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously as a pro-life person, I would love if it saved every single baby in Texas. Um, that has not resulted and happened. Um, the New York Times actually looked at a couple of new studies that came out, one about people from or women from Texas, people, I'm going to say birthing persons next, women from Stop Texas <laughs> going to out-of-state bor- abortion providers, and the other one looking at um, women from Texas using abortion pills, which I know we've talked about on Problematic Women, and it's becoming a more common way of having an abortion Um, despite the safety risks it presents. So the New York Times estimates, um, quote, the total number of abortions among Texas women fell by far less, around 10 percent, because of large increases in the number of Texans who traveled to a clinic in a nearby state or ordered abortion pills online. So even if you are an abortion extremist who thinks that it's so horrible that Texas is saying you can't end a baby's life once the baby's heartbeat is detected, um, this actually hasn't had too huge an effect on Texas women. That's really interesting. Thank you. That's like everything I say. <laughs> okay. Well, let's switch gears to Florida's parental rights bill. Either one of you ladies want to chime in about why there was so much outrage about this or should there have been? I don't think there should have been at all. Um, but it does make a certain degree of sense considering how much the left has pushed back against parental rights. I mean, we saw this with CRT. They really don't think that parents should have a say on what is being taught to their kids. And apparently that also includes transgenderism. Yeah. And this is just the tip of the iceberg being exposed. And the left knows that as soon as parents really wake up to this and they're exposed for what they're actually trying to do of really sexualizing young children, that they, they'll never be able to go back to the way that they are. So I think they're, they're scared and they're they're showing it through like pushing back so hard on this bill. But really, when you think about it, kindergarten to third grade, third grade is like an eight or nine year old. There's no reason why you should be talking about any sort of sexual relationships with a nine year old. Right. And like, why would you discuss gender identity with a small child. I mean, um, I wish Virginia Allen was here. She's out on assignment um, because she did a great um, piece for the Daily Signal a while ago looking at some of these children's books and um, how extreme they are. I think there was one called My Princess Boy that was, <laughs> you know, a boy who wanted to be a princess. And that's the sort of thing that, one, if you accept the LGBT movement's um, arguments, someone just knows they're the quote unquote wrong sex. So they don't need a children's book to explain it to them. Um, and secondly, why are you confusing kids? I mean, kids are there to learn, not I, I, I just, you know, I think even if you are a more lefty person on these issues, there is no need in kindergarten through third grade to get into it. No, but it makes me just happy knowing that we have Ron DeSantis down in my home state of Florida, oh which gosh. I'm very proud of. <laughs> Here we go again. You, you know, he's <laughs> like, I love this part, this him sticking up to Disney because it's true. Disney is huge for Florida. There's 
40 million tourists that come in and out of Orlando. Wait, you know that number off the top of your head? I do. You didn't research that before the show? No, I do. You honestly know. Orlando is the number one tourist destination in the world. Yeah, I also went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida. Uh, but, you know, it's it's they're not small potatoes. They are. I mean, in theory, they should be a children's entertainment company who would want to do what's best for the children. But obviously, they're operated by woke employees who want to push this. But for Ron DeSantis to see this and call a spade a spade and say, like, no, you can't intimidate me. We have made the decision we have gone through all the right processes, and this is what's best for Florida children. You can't intimidate me. I, I hope politicians across the country look at him and, and do that as well. Yeah, that was a very brave move to stand up to not only the woke corporations, but to also call out the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and say point out that Disney has relations with the CCP. Yeah, I love that he did that. I was really upset about Mulan, um, you know, a Disney movie that was filmed in one of the provinces where there's the Uyghur camps. And, um, you know, and I I don't know. I mean, I know different people watched it and stuff, but I did not. I'm not sure if I would have seen it anyway, but I very consciously did not watch it because I just I don't understand how you can do that. You know, we all like to say, oh, we would never participate in X period of history in this evil. And yet here's Disney filming a movie in a nation that is allowing these poor Uyghurs to be tortured. We know that Christians aren't allowed to practice their faith freely. Like, people can't talk freely. It's it's just – and yet there's this double standard where it's like, oh, anything in America. But I also um, – even though I'm not a Floridian, I am a DeSantis fan, and I liked <laughs> – We'll accept it. <laughs> well, this is like the Florida committee. Yeah, me and the other <laughs> – Floridians. We, we get together. We, we or... <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine a whole Floridians being on one group chat? <laughs> um, that would actually be epic, and I would stalk the heck out of that. <laughs> like, maybe that's what we should have up in the Daily Signal. We should have, like, instead of news bullet points, you know, um, the way they do in Times Square, like, going around. Yeah. What do you call that thing? A tracker? Oh, know, a, ticker, a ticker. Ticker! Yeah. Wow. I should know that. Um, anyway, we'll have the Florida group chat. <laughs> just on the ticker. <laughs> no, but I was just glad that, um, yeah, like I think we see more and more of these corporations are becoming really woke, which one is really annoying me because I feel like I keep having to boycott things and it, it's, <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> like I really enjoy, like I'm still boycotting Netflix over cuties and there's a lot of sweet Netflix content out there. Wow, you're, is, you're really, uh, I wish I was that strong. I've been watching Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Uh, more girls is good. Um, yeah, but I think standing up to a corporation, we've seen corporations. And actually, the interesting thing is Disney originally wasn't going to speak out. And then there was like this huge outrage. And then Disney, I guess, felt compelled to speak out. But I really think that more conservatives need to learn from DeSantis. And DeSantis was, you know, very open. Like, we're not changing this. His press secretary, uh, Christina Pesha, has been really open. Like, you know, we're going to be OK, even if Disney is mad at us. And I think we need to see that courage from more political leaders. Couldn't agree more. And I like, too, that he's like, let's let's still talk. You know, this isn't the end of the conversation. You're an important part of my state, but this is an important issue. Here at the Heritage Foundation, we recently welcomed President Kevin Roberts to the building last year. And we're so excited that he's finally launching his new podcast, The Kevin Roberts Show. Each week, Kevin Roberts speaks with a lawmaker, a newsmaker, just anyone whose story really impacts the American discussion, and he then ties it back to policy with just a fun, upbeat attitude. So right now, pull out your phone, open up Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show. 
right, Brenda, I'm now going to do that really awkward thing where I'm going to read your own words back to you. So you recently wrote a piece for National Review about how men and boys are falling behind. You write, citing the book The Boy Crisis, that men now earn 39% of college degrees, while the median annual earnings of a man with a high school diploma have dropped 26% in the past 40 years. And 15 to 19-year-old boys commit suicide at four times the rate of girls. 93% of those in prison are men. So what is driving this crisis among men? Yeah, so the thesis of the book is that it is the absence of fathers. Right now, 40% of children are born out of wedlock. So they don't have a father in the home. And in addition to that, it's also that kids are not getting equal time with their dads. So Warren Farrell tells the story in the book that during the 1970s, the National Organization for Women actually pushed for laws, custody laws to favor mom in divorce. And as a result of that, the presumption is that mom should have more custody and get more time with the kids than dad. And so it's not just that the the problem that kids are being born out of wedlock, it's also that they're not getting time with their biological dads. And the effects are just staggering. I mean, it, it's effect after effect in this book. It's ADHD, it's suicide rates, it's depression, it's all these things. And on top of that, one of the things that can kind of counteract the absence of a dad, heaven forbid, you know, a child's father passes away when he's young, is having male-only spaces and organizations so that boys have male mentors. So things like Boy Scouts for America, for example, are really beneficial for boys, that they have that male figure to look up to. And right now, those sorts of things are actually on attack, and we're trying to undermine these single-sex spaces. Brennan, you bring up so many great points. Reading your article is just like punch after punch after punch. Like it's so it's a short article. It's really dense. I really encourage all of our listeners to read it. And I've done a lot of research about the early feminist movement and the National Organization of Women. Now it just seems like a given in our society that when a man and woman get divorced, the woman gets custody because that's just how it's supposed to be. But to know that a feminist group was one who was pushing that. It just really kind of changes the whole way I think about divorce and (laughs) where kids should go. So let me play devil's advocate. When I was reading this article, maybe I was just in a bad mood. I mean, I did like it. It's called playing Kate's advocate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Some of my college classmates would really appreciate that. (laughs) Um, And I was like, wait a second. This is another way in which men screw up. Like, I feel like women don't abandon their kids. You you don't hear about a deadbeat mom. I mean, every once in a while. But it's really – I understand your point about the law. But it does seem that men, for whatever reason – not not to sound like a raving feminist, but they are more able to leave kids behind. And is this something women should tackle or is this something that men need to call out other men? Like if a guy says, you know, I have a son that I see once a week or maybe I live in a different state from, do other men need to get involved and be like, that's not being a good father? Or How, how do we really change that? Right. Um, I agree. I mean, part of this problem is certainly – that men are leaving their kids behind, right? But I think it needs to be both. 
I think it needs to be the efforts of both men and women to tackle what is a really massive problem and to recognize that there were these factors like feminists pushing for custody laws to favor mom. And we need to dial back those things. And women need to help advocate on those sorts of things. Um, oh, and the other thing is it's to say it's women and men are interrelated, interdependent, right? So to say that something affects only men is not to say that it doesn't affect women. Of course it does. So for example, um, men are the ones that prevent the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, I think. They are the ones to stand up and say, no, that is unacceptable, both when it happens and also by teaching their boys before they become Harvey Weinsteins that this is immoral and wrong. And that certainly has an effect on women of we don't want women to be sexually harassed. We want them to be able to marry good men. And if these boys don't have the example of a good man man, they are more likely to end up in crisis. And then women later on are going to have to choose between men who are in crisis, between men who are irresponsible, struggling with depression and suicide and all these things. So I think it needs to be the efforts of both men and women. I guess we can work together. So, Brenda, you also mentioned um, porn is one of the things that, you know, boys can go wrong and that they need that influence on in your article. And I found that interesting because I think, I mean, conservatives talk about porn, but outside of the conservative movement, I don't feel like you hear that much. And even within the conservative movement, there tends to be not too much talk about it. So how do you see that as affecting men? Well, there was this great study that the Ethics and Public Policy Center uh, published or republished that came out about this problem and kind of showing the depths of it. It actually perverts what men desire. It makes them more violent towards women. So it's certainly a problem that is also affecting women. And I think this is a problem that we actually have an opportunity to build coalitions on, right? Because old feminists were against pornography because they thought it was degrading of women, right? Shocking. Um, Shocking, (laughs) right? Um, So it's actually something, a place where I think conservatives and some old feminists can come together and say, we need to address this problem. And it's it's another win that conservatives could have because everything is fact, right? Like pornography is bad for you. Period. End of sentence. And there's been study after study how it changes your brain, how it changes the way that you look at other people, how it changes the way that men look at women. And kind of going back to that ice cream truck where the left can put as many bows as they want, like we could be pro-sex work and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it is bad for humans. It is not the way that we're supposed to live our lives. And we, as humankind, we can push against it as much as we want. But at the end of the day, we were built a certain way. We were built to to have kids in a certain way, to serve God in a certain way. And people are just never going to be happy in that mold unless they break back to where we were traditionally. Well, I also think it's interesting um, because I'm a real <clears throat> nerd. I uh, Fact check, true. <laughs> Uh, I love looking at Reddit and reading all these anonymous accounts of people's like different issues Mm -hmm. and stuff. Also Googling weird health things. It's just my journey. Let me live it. Um, (laughs) But on Reddit, there is a um, a subreddit, like a forum, a discussion place where people, um, I think it's called Love After Porn. Mm. And it's women. uh, Well, I mean, they say they're women. I don't know. It's all anonymous, guys. It could be a bunch of weird trolls. But they talk about trying to get their boyfriends or husbands to not use porn. 
and they talk about the pain they feel. But also what's really interesting is they describe, you know, how invalidated they feel. Like their boyfriends or husbands will be like, this is a you problem. Why are you upset that I'm looking at all these different other, you know, naked women engaging in these relations? And like they'll say, you know, I think even other women are like, this is just something men do. You know, you're not going to be able to find a, a husband, a boyfriend if you're not willing to be flexible on this. And it's just it's an interesting corner of the Internet because it's it's um, almost like a repressed pain that people just don't feel the women don't feel they can speak frankly about no it's true because as women i mean even just not even going on pornography sites you just go on instagram and you're comparing yourselves to all these people who are perfect and they have all the filters and no pores and wear a size double zero jean and you, you know that that gets in your brain and can you imagine the person that you're the most intimate with thinking that their head is thinking of somebody who's absolutely perfect and will do whatever they want and trying to compare yourself to that i i the the pain that these women go through I, I, it's it's so valid and and the fact that in society we allow men to think and talk like this i, mean, I think Brendan goes to your original point of like we need these men's only spaces where men can talk about this and realize and and validate these women in these men-only spaces of like, no, this is harming us and this is harming the people around us. And it's not only that they have this ideal picture in their head because of pornography. It's actually a perverted picture. Mm. The studies have shown that um, you can actually change what people desire. I mean, not <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to stay family friendly, but I don't think it's making the world a better place. Speaking of not making the world a better place. Yeah, let's let's hear it for the poor toddlers of New York City. Um, and look, I just want to say as someone who lived in New York City for a couple of years, I don't think New York City is already a great place for a toddler. I mean, there's sweet playgrounds. There's a nice zoo. Uh, but there's a lot of honking. There's a lot of cars. Like if you're a poor little introverted toddler, like New York City would be a hellscape, I would think. There's Anyway, that's my thought. But... <laughs> These toddlers are not going to be able to breathe anytime soon. Earlier this month, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he defended requiring small kids to still use masks. So we're going to play this clip via NY1. If you were talking to a four-year-old and trying to explain why they have to keep their mask on, but their, their six-year-old brother doesn't, what, what is your, your explanation to that four-year-old? I'm so happy you said that because when I was in Rockaway and the St. Pat's Day Parade, I did just that. A group of parents brought me and talked to their children and explained uh, to them. I told them, you're going to be taking off your mask like your big brothers and sisters are doing now. You know, when, when you have big brothers and sisters, sometimes they do things first to make sure it's safe for you. And those children, they understand it because they trust their parents and they trust their leadership. They're not tainted like adults. <laughs> you know, they still feel uh, that we have to make the right decisions for them. And I'm with the parents. I want those masks off. I said it in January, but I have to do it right to make sure our city uh, protect its children and don't close down the city again. So the ostensible reasoning here is that there's no vaccine available for the under five set. But of course, there are vaccines available for everyone five and older. And yet the Biden administration just extended again how long people have to wear masks on public transportation, on planes, on trains, et cetera. Um, and that's been extended to April 18th. So even if you are vaccinated, apparently you still have to wear masks. So or even sorry, I don't care 
whether you're vaccinated or not. I think the argument has been like, oh, there's a vaccine available, so you can then choose to take it or not take it and then take your own risks. So there's that issue with the planes. But then I think with these kids, like, why can't we let their parents make these decisions? I guess I'm supposed to ask you guys a question and I'm just like, starting <laughs> a real rant here. But we'll just make but, this problem. Pub- Kate. <laughs> Is anyone in favor of forcing toddlers to be masked? I think there's a perception that there's no downside right, to requiring people to wear a mask. And that's just not true, especially with young kids. They've had studies where, you know, kids need to learn facial expressions. They need to learn body language, especially at that young age, right? And if everyone's wearing a mask, that inhibits them learning those sorts of things. And it's also they've done some studies with kids and taken their masks and run tests. And they've actually found that these masks are carrying very serious diseases, things like typhoid, actually, <laughs> oh because they're little kids and they're like probably rubbing the mask in the dirt at, at some point or something Jeez. like that. So it is actually. So they're inhaling really bad. Yeah, there are, more, there are actually dangers for little kids to wear masks. Well, and it's shown all these COVID precautions, quote unquote, from the left have been anti-science from the start. Little kids under five are not at risk of dying of COVID. I mean, uh, you can use this vaccine as as an excuse, but your likelihood of dying under five. I mean, this this virus was really only dangerous to people over the age of 60 or people with pre-existing conditions. And then when you look at airplanes, airplanes are the safest place because you're going 500 miles an hour and they're circulating the air in and out. So this fresh. And it's so funny, too. You get on an airplane, you sit down. They hand you the little pack of pretzels now, and you take your mask off, and all 200 people sit there with their masks off for five minutes, and then they finish their pretzels and they put it on. And it's just living in Virginia, and now that DC's, I haven't worn a mask in like two weeks, and even at Aldi yesterday, my grocery store of choice. <laughs> I looked around, and more than half of people were not wearing masks for the, probably the first time ever, for the first time in a long time in the DMV area, and I was just so happy. But we're back to normal. Yeah, I was really mad today because I took my dog to the vet for her annual physical. And yes, I have a problem. But um, <laughs> anyway, the, the stupid vet's office still makes you wear a mask. And I had to get one out of the bottom of my purse, which probably does have typhoid on it. <laughs> Let's be real. It's been there for like five weeks at this stage. Um, Did you just tell them like, no, 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 it's okay. I've had COVID like four times. <laughs> I can't get it again. At the vets, they used to not let you back. You used to have to just give them your animal and come back. And oh, I'm still not allowed. Like, I'm only allowed in the waiting room. Oh, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still? No. Yeah. So I, I got a COVID puppy and I've never been <laughs> beyond the waiting room. I don't know what it's like in the That's vet's so office. Sad. It's so because your animal is so scared. And those. No, no, no. My dog loves the vet. She just like sees it as like a treat place. They hold her. She's down with it. Like wow. my dog is like 100 percent ready to be kidnapped by the vet. So also Kate's dog will not stay at home for more than a couple hours of time. But <laughs> no, no, she's she's on Prozac now. We're up to eight hours a day. <laughs> anyway, we're you can't see Brenda is almost on the floor laughing. <laughs> oh, it gets worse than that, Brenda. At one point she was on Xanax and she had a Walgreens prescription. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, my my dog has led me down a journey that I am not proud of. But you know what? <laughs> we're we're just trying to not have my condo neighbor murder me. <laughs> so we got to do what we got to do. But going back to the masks and the toddlers, I mean, it's just the left just needs to let this go. We're in a in war in Ukraine. The gas prices are five, six, seven dollars, and they're worried about putting a small piece of ineffective cloth on children under five, and uh, it just drives me nuts, Kate. I think at this point, it just 
it makes people feel better, like they are doing something. And it's the pandemic was terrifying for a lot of people because mm-hmm. it realized that we're we're not in control. There are certain things that we cannot control. We cannot control nature. We haven't totally conquered it with all our technologies. Um, and so a mask is something that you can do. And I think it's just a psychological thing. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things in New York and elsewhere. I mean, I have no problem if someone wants to voluntarily wear a mask or even, you know, if you want to only send your kids to a preschool where masks are required. You know, I, I think it's just the government mandate component mm-hmm. of it. That's just it's it's just really grating that it's still happening. And I think there's just something that it just strikes me as so unjust that we make kids like they're the last ones suffering. And like, I think, you know, a two year old, a three year old wearing a mask that just. I mean, I get so cranky wearing a mask. It just breaks my heart thinking of a little kid who just wants to run and explore and, like, having to wear this stupid mask. Right. It's one thing for people to make the measured decision to say, hey, I was traveling a lot. Maybe I should wear a mask for the time being and an N95 mask. And it's another thing for there to be this blanket mandate. Right. Oh, and I did want to state, Lauren, I think you've fallen for plane propaganda. I know that the airlines are always saying that planes are the safest place ever in their air circulation. But as someone who regularly gets sick after flying, I Kate, I think they're just spreading germs. Kate, you just regularly get sick, period. <laughs> I fly this all the my, time. This is my conspiracy theory <laughs> that the airlines, big airlines, is lying to us about germs. I think they pump them out of those little weird air chutes. I would, they are kind of gross. And then you do always get like a little drippy on you sitting on there. And like sometimes, you know, when you get on and it's like misty. Yeah, but, it shouldn't be misty in this like cart. I don't know, this metal bird thing. But I will say, Kate, as someone who got status on Southwest last year, I never got sick after flying. Uh, so. Lauren, I just want to say that that is right up there <laughs> with tool <laughs> remarks you've ever made to be bragging about your airline status. I, you sound like a DC elitist. I don't even have and to a check swamp in. Creature. <laughs> what, 24 hours before my flight, I get whatever a position I am on my flight. It's amazing. <sighs> okay. Well, well, next flight I'm booking is Lauren Evans and stealing your license. I mean, we, we traveled last time. And also, I got that's to, a joke. Don't arrest me. <laughs> I got to bring everybody through the VIP line with me. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now it is that time. Once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Cassie Dillon of The Daily Wire. Cassie has been reporting on the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and last week actually traveled to the war-torn country to meet Ukrainian people and give a first-hand account. After her trip, she posted this Twitter thread, which really had an impact on me. At Cassie Dillon, 
Still processing my Ukraine experience. I keep thinking about the extreme highs and extreme lows. I saw intense suffering of families being separated and people scared for their future. But then I saw extreme human kindness where everyone is banding together. Need a place to stay? Done. Need food? Done. Need a friend? Done. The barriers that usually exist between strangers were gone. I cried hugging a female volunteer from Saudi Arabia that I became close with, and I saw men crying when saying bye to their wives and their kids. You're not supposed to cry in front of the refugees. It scares the children. I kept it together for days, but I couldn't anymore and had to hide it from them while I collected myself. It amazes me how the mother stayed so strong for their small children. Really, it inspired me. One college student I interviewed told me that she was so sad to leave her school and her family, but she needed to get to safety while her family refused to leave their home, no matter the risk. And she said staying busy kept her going. I asked her to describe what she saw around her in an audio recording for The Daily Wire. She didn't mention the people squeezed on the bus, the kids scared in their mother's arms, or the cold. She mentioned the beautiful sunset out the window. I am keeping in contact with most of the English-speaking refugees I met. I am happy to say that one of them has an uncle in the U.S. and will be arriving in Maryland next week to stay temporarily, and I'm 100% going to visit her. In such a sad situation, people staying positive and uniting behind a common cause is so important. The Ukrainian people have inspired me and are forever in my heart. I do want to go back and considering raising money to help more refugees. Wow. I just, I can't imagine, A, going into a war-torn country, and B, just seeing that. And, and the way that the people stayed positive, I thought that was such a powerful account. Kate, Brenda, you ready to go to the war zone? I am not. I, you know, am very, very impressed by what we've seen of the Ukrainian people. I have a bad feeling if I was ever in a war zone, I would just burst into tears and be like, kill me first, but like painlessly, <laughs> um, which is not how I aspire to live my life. I just think that would probably be what would happen. But um, no, I think it's wonderful. And, you know, I think sometimes the worst of times do bring out the best of people. And um, but no, it's very very sad, especially knowing, yeah, what they're facing right now. Yeah, the people of Ukraine have been remarkably resilient. And let's just hope that they aren't called to be resilient for much longer and that this all comes to an end. Well, I like to leave Problematic Women on a positive note. Brenda, thank you so much for joining us. It's always fun to be here. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a foster review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.